the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within community. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about everything health, fitness, and nutrition related. I'm your host, Brandon, with my co-host, Joe. Hello. Today, we have a, a really special guest. We have David Hellinger with LPL Financial, and we haven't done anything on financial health, and I think there's a lot of tie-ins with our physical health and our overall health and well-being, so we're super excited to have you today. Welcome, David. Thank you. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do. Okay. Well, I am a financial planner here in Cary, North Carolina. I've been doing this for about uh, 18 years. I work with all sorts of clients who are determined to uh, hit their financial goals. And we work together, create a financial plan, execute that plan on an ongoing basis to make sure that uh, we hit not only the targets financially, but most importantly, the values and goals that they have. Yeah, that yeah, makes a big difference. Now, do you work more on the retirement planning side or just in general with managing finances? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, because I work with in individuals and families, it's really focused on goal-based planning. And that can include retirement, can include education, cash reserves, what they need to be doing to, to buy a house, refinance their home. It, it doesn't matter if it's got a dollar connected to it. We want to know about it so that we can help guide them to make good decisions along the way. I oftentimes tell my clients that the, we know it's working well when, let's say, a couple talks about something they want to do financially, and they think, let me run it by Dave. And if they do think that way, then oftentimes I can be a really powerful advocate and partner with them. So, for instance, if Joe wanted to get a motorcycle, and after another his, motorcycle, after his wife approves it, then maybe you could say, Hey, Dave, can, can you look at our finances, what we have coming in, coming out and say, can I buy this motorcycle without it affecting paying off debt or whatever other goals you have? Yeah, precisely. Could I ask if you would write a note to my wife saying, <laughs> okay, that he purchases a, is Joe, that a service you offer? Joe, I will not <laughs> write a note to your wife without meeting her. <laughs> that's, that's what it would take. <laughs> yeah, it's stepping. It's of course it's that, but it's stepping back and seeing how that um, integrates with everything that they do. What are some of the most overlooked items that people don't consider when trying to make a, a uh, financial decision? Oh, that that one's really easy. It's a proper cash reserve. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah, if you could rewind time, if I could do one thing changing families' lives that's different than they already have, it would be to have three to six months of their cash, of, of what they need in cash reserve. If you can think about it, all sorts of, I don't know, situations can happen. Murphy's Law, as another famous radio personality likes to say, comes. Murphy's, <laughs> Murphy's Law says never play leapfrog with a unicorn. <laughs> That's my favorite quote. This is exactly. It was on my wall in college. And you are going to like lose a job in a recession. And that's just how that goes. And you are likely to have your stock portfolio, maybe even your bond portfolio, do go down in a recession. And if you're having to pull from your stocks and bond portfolio because you didn't have a proper cash reserve, or having to withdraw from your 401k and take a penalty because you're not old enough yet or pay taxes if you are and aren't and don't need it. Those can be really devastating and people overlook that. People with uh, a, a good financial situations oftentimes look at cash as something very boring. And although it is, it's also very essential. Yeah. 
Now, if we're trying to figure out three to six months, is, is it as simple as taking your your salary for the year and let's say if you want six months dividing in half and saying, I need to save half, or is it more complex? Oh, that's a good shortcut, but of course it's more complex. And that's what a good you know deep dive financial plan will help us see is what's essential, what's unnecessary expenses, what could be cut if um, things get tight. If things get tight. So are, is this down to Starbucks cups of coffee and Chick-fil-A drive through It depends what you consider essential, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so those are keys. Those are keys and clues into the depths of where we can go with clients. There's no uh, limit to what we'll talk about. That's if you do it right and you comprehensive, good chance. Cool. Now, when you first work with somebody, is there any kind of assessment or things that you're trying to gauge before you start creating a plan for them? And what is included in that? Yes, of course. You have to have a willing participant, a, a written plan that you don't execute is worthless. Brandon, your business is precisely the exact same thing, right? How many people walk by the gym on, on a daily basis? So you, you have to have some dedication. You also have to have, have an advisor who fits you. So that's a big part of my process is making sure that how I am and the way that I am works with who you are and the way you are, that we see eye to eye. So my job is to be a guide and, and to teach. And um, if you don't like the teacher, then you need to go find one that you like. Do you ever start noticing financial habits with clients that are like super cringy and you just want to be like, dude, what are you doing? And shake them? Occasionally. I think the, the key is to have the courage and the leadership to say what is the particular idiosyncrasies of the individual is. Yeah. I try not to be too judgy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm a huge fan of a lot of the Dave Ramsey stuff. Yeah. And I know there's pros and cons, and some people yeah. love it. Some people yeah. say it's nonsense. Yeah. Uh, but clearly, it works for a lot of people. Yeah. And I know a big part of his thing is this whole debt snowball idea, right. paying off your, regardless of the interest rate, whatever the least amount of debt loan or debt you have, pay that off first, get that momentum. Do you suggest a similar model? Is it different per person? Yeah. And then what are just your overall thoughts on that? Yeah. I think this might parlay quite well into a, a bit broader conversation about what we both in, in this answer. And here's what I'd say. First of all, who am I to, to ridicule Dave Ramsey? He's been effective and a wonderful communicator for decades and has helped many people. He has his critics. I'll have my critics. What I would say is uh, you need to pick a system and you need to stick to it. Now, I've had, for example, I've had dogs my whole life. I grew up with them. I've never, I've had two years of my entire life without a dog. And so because of that, because I have lots of dogs over, over the years, people will ask me, how, how is it you get this really well-trained dog? What is it, what, what technique do you recommend? Here's what I always say. I say, go to the bookstore or, or online and pick a training method and don't vary from that training method. No, that's, that's huge. And that reminds me of people used to ask me all the time, what's better, the machines or free weights? And I used to be really dogmatic and I'm like free weights, free weights. And I, I do think there's more benefits, but in the end, it's what will you actually do on a consistent basis? Gotcha. Right. If you're super intimidated by dumbbells, you don't know how to properly use them and you get injured or you just, it's going to keep you from walking through that door, yeah. then do the machines. But that's a huge point and something to consider. So what can you consistently stick with? That's right. That's yeah. right. And that's why you spend all the time that we spend getting to know each other as clients so that those recommendations are sticky. I'm much more interested in it happening than it being theoretically correct. Yeah. A big part of what Brandon talks about on the show, it's got to be sustainable, a sustainable plan. And 
a big part of that for him. And what he talks about is really follow the rules 80% of the time, but then life's going to happen. There's got to be like a 20% flex. Yeah. And I think that's so important for people when it's like work a plan. Is there a similar thing in a financial plan? If it's too strict, does it fail? Like yeah. we mentioned Starbucks earlier as a joke, yeah. but for some people, if my plan says I can't have Starbucks, well, for that our, plan. Our mutual friend, John, he's not going to give up bourbon. It's right. just, it's not going to happen. A strict plan works for disciplined, strict people. A loose plan is for someone who maybe needs to course correct on a more regular basis. I think that one of the keys to financial planning is getting up more times than you fall down. Yeah. I really think that's true. And, and there are little big mistakes along the way and setbacks. I bet there's another similarity in that. I know that we've talked about this a lot when, let's say you're having an off day or your cheat day. Yeah. Some people, one of the previous guests called it the, oh, fuck it. It's like, I made a mistake, yeah. so I'm in it now. Yeah. Like I went from a sandwich <laughs> to order a pizza. Yes. <laughs> give me a six pack. Like we have, it's happening now. Uh -huh. I have to imagine that happens with spending. Uh -huh. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What is the phrase in for pence in for a pound or something right. along like along those lines. And so you do have to be a little bit cautious about those sort of things. And it's Christmas time. So that's probably a yeah. good season for that. Yeah. I think this is why we spend so much time with principle-based financial planning and understanding someone's principles. So if they're violating their own principles, right. my job is to hold up the mirror. Say, you said right. this was important to you. It doesn't really matter what's important to me. It doesn't matter at all. It's, it's following your own plan. That's a principle in therapy too, like reminding somebody that, that what you're doing is violating what you said you wanted to do versus this, like a dogmatic, like yeah. we're in the Dave Ramsey camp yeah. or we're in the other yeah. camp or, yeah. you know, this is, this is the part where we, where I say that I've been working with Brandon my, myself as I trained with him. And one of the reasons why I like working with him so much is he, he gets this into a wheel on her into the day and I'll say, Hey, listen, I'm feeling this, or I really want to work out this, this part or be careful here. And, and he shapes that day along, shapes that day for me, but also far beyond where I would go, <laughs> by, go myself. <laughs> We've had some good times. I still remember that dumbbell drop set for shoulders. That was pretty rough. Good times, though. Yeah, I work out with him, too. Whenever he says, we're going to try something, it's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna we're going to do this. Yeah, and yeah. it was like, by the end, we both wanted to throw up. Yeah. 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 That was a little hard. Yeah. Because yeah. we're programming month three of the course that's coming out uh -huh. next year. And we're like, ah, we're going to pair this one back. Nobody, Nobody's going to do that. Everybody's different. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty competitive. You throw something at me, and I, yeah. I, I want to accomplish it. And other people, if you throw something too hard, they're going to quit before they start. Yeah. So I think that's probably customizable. So what we settled on was having two options, like this beast mode, go for it, and this intermediate type thing. So we'll have two options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, no different what I do. How fast or slow do you want to go? That's really is up to you. We want to shirt and beats your, your goals. I was curious. We talked about having a three to six month fund. And I know that always changes, but I found a NBC article about this year's percentage of American that have less than three months. Uh -huh. What do you guys think it is? Percentage of Americans that have less than three months. Most of us. <laughs> yeah. Let's say, I'd say 80%. 80, 83, 84%. So I think it's gone down and then back up. So right now, CNBC has it at 51% of Americans have less than three months worth of emergency savings, which is weird because I've always heard like 70% don't have $1,000. So I don't know how they're calculating emergency savings. Now, is that meaning they have no debt or just I they have I money set aside? I think it means that they have money that they could use for three to six months of expenses. Whether it be to pay off debt or if it's just sitting in another account. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I guess your debts would count as expenses as you pay the monthly. Yeah. Okay. That's that makes sense. That's that's better than I thought. Yeah. I guess. Okay. So then the same article says that one in six households report having less than a thousand dollars. Which okay. So how does that make any sense? One in six. So uh, one in six are dire. <laughs> yeah. Of the forty nine percent. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I heard the savings went up a little bit with the pandemic. Yeah, savings rate uh, skyrocketed. If you look at the charts of uh, savings rate, now that's includes that's a lot of things, not just uh, individuals, but yeah, all stimulus money, PPP loans, EIP loans, et cetera, state savings rates skyrocketed to a historic figure in um, Now, uh, does an advisor like you, do you do the research behind what companies would make sense to invest in for Joe Schmo? No offense, Joe. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't have time to do that kind of research. Or if it's like me, I just don't care. Yeah. yeah um, of course we make recommendations in all aspects of their lives. And, yeah. you know, as I said in the beginning, if it has a dollar around it, we want to know about it and recommend what they do. And then of course we'll include assets that they meant that they want to invest. Yeah. yeah. I, have a, I have a money guy. And basically the way he did it was... He asked us what we were comfortable with and where we wanted to spend our, our money. And that was a conversation about our comfortable levelness with risk. Like a risk yeah. assessment. Yeah, yeah, how comfortable we are. And then that helped him formulate a plan on how much to put in safer things and how much to put in more risky things. And so basically individual stocks are the more risky things. And so we carved out like a percentage to put in individual stocks. And he would email me all the time. And I'm like, I don't, just, just buy it. I'm not going to read your email. I don't know what that company is. I'm not going to do research, yeah. <laughs> that, but I know that you are, and I feel good about it. And that makes me feel good. And that's why I have a financial guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. And so what he's doing and any good advisor is going to do is know you and yeah. make sure that you have that the risk you're taking. It's, is a risk that you'll tolerate. Yeah. Uh, best that we can. Uh, surmise. You can't know all things. How long is the average retirement now? How long do a couple that, that lives, that is 60 at 65, a couple has a probability of one of them living till 91. Those stats. 65 to 91 math. Wow. So that it doesn't mean that a 65 year old has a life expectancy of 91, but it means that collectively there's a chance and there's probability. And we're looking at 30, sometimes 40 years of retirement planning. Yeah. Wow. It's a big deal. I've wondered before, I've had this thought cross my mind. I get to sit on a lot of different podcasts and some of them have to do with financial matters. Yeah. But it seems like generationally, if you look at my grandparents' generation, they survived the depression and like the money that they needed for retirement feels like it would last forever because they never spent money on anything. But now you've got new generations coming up with different spending habits. And I wonder how different that's going to make retirement look. For people like, think about the millennials who are categorized as spending their money on experiences. Yeah, yeah. They'll save up their money for experience. Experiences cost money. Yeah, yeah. And that's not a thing that like it was just, somebody in a previous generation would have prioritized or yeah, valued. Yeah. And so YOLO. I think that people in younger generations are going to require much more in their nest egg for retirement or are they well, just going to keep working? Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> some combination of both. Yeah. Uh, I can't say I know all of this uh, this the spending habits of that demographic. I've heard the experience before. I will tell you that the uh, the baby boom generation, which for many, probably many of the listeners, they're the ones hitting retirement now-ish, right? Yeah, they're they're pretty good at spending. They're, yeah. they're pretty good. So it's their parents that were really good at saving. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it is requiring significantly more for the baby generation to retire. And so if perhaps culturally that's passed down, then yeah, it could get more and more challenging because the question, the balance is, the, the size of your retirement bucket with how much you spend on a monthly basis. There's this 
golden ratio, if you will. I'm not trying to tease this out. There's, there, there's some, you know, obviously some variables, but if you, you know, if you have multi-millions but spend millions per year, uh, there's a good chance that you spend through those multi-millions. And if you uh, fraction of that. But you're frugal. Uh, but you're quite frugal, then you may never spend your money. And everybody's different. Everybody's that, quite different. That's a really good point. So people go, oh, he's a millionaire. He lives in a million-dollar house, but he spends it as he earns it. Then I guess that's part of net worth. Yeah. Right. So you can be at a mansion, but have, I guess it's still an asset. So be yeah. part of your net worth. Yeah. But it's only an asset if you own, own some it. of it. That's yeah. true. If, if the, the bank, bank owns all of it. I, I, I always tell, we talk about what wealth is clients. I always share these two stories and they are true. I have a couple were teachers and at 20 years old, they graduated from local state school. They became teachers in the, in the school system here in North Carolina, bought a house on a 15-year mortgage, paid it off before they finished um, their 30 years of teaching at age 50, 51. They were able to walk away from teaching with full pensions. Those two combined pensions were more than the income that they had as a family, excuse me, that they were spending, the investments that they had made beyond their pension into their retirement plans, because North Carolina offers a 401k plan too, was above and beyond their needs. <clears throat> So when they retired, they were able to spend their pensions and allow their 401ks to continue to grow from 50 to 55 to 60 to 65. Now they're receiving Social Security money that they don't need. Their assets are 10x of where they were when they retired, and they don't need a red cent of it. That is a very wealthy client. Now, I'm not saying that they're the client with the largest net worth in my practice, but they are amongst my wealthy clients. I had a client, you'll understand why he's no longer a couple, but he was a surgeon of a certain type. I don't want to identify him because but he still lives in the area. He did implants. <laughs> no, I have no idea. And he was making about $850,000 a year. And he had to entertain a job in the middle of the country, which he, he and his uh, spouse did not want to go to, making an extra 20% or at a firm where he'd have to work a lot more because he could not keep up with his lifestyle. And if he were to lose his job or get sick, he would be a SOL within six to eight months. Wow. So he was not wealthy. Yeah. And though he had a very nice house and he had some retirement assets that were more significant than the prior couple. Those are just really opposite ends of the spectrum of what wealth is yeah. and is not. So what the overall theme I'm getting is frugality makes plays a huge role in wealth. Balance. Well, balance, basically. is that maybe a better yeah. word? Yeah, that's good because nobody likes the word frugality. Yeah, but I don't think it's, it's important. It's just balance. It's yeah. understanding that there's some of you for some of your money must go to the federal government. You don't not pay that bill. Yeah, you find out what happens if you don't pay that bill, right? Yeah, you also get to find out what happens if you don't pay your retirement bill. Yeah, that and makes so sense. So it's just a longer. It's Brandon. It's just absolutely no different. Yeah. Than your than the work that we do together, I do with you, right? The consequences of of not working out over time will eventually. One of the things that I, I plan on telling my kids when they get old enough to listen or hear this is the importance of having somebody like a David Hellinger, because it used to be a little bit simpler on paper. I think work for one company, retire Golden Watch pension, but now people yeah. don't work at the same job for longer than three four years. Yeah. So actively managing your retirement is something that needs active management. And if you're not wired that way, yeah, right. then you can implore the services of somebody that is wired that way and partner up with that person and, and yeah. so that you can have that same benefit 
that our uncles and grandpas and aunts had when they had their retirement party and the gold watch. They got that pension, but we're not seeing pensions. That's not a thing that we're going to experience or our kids are going to experience. And and it wasn't free for them. It was being taken out of their check every single month. So we just have to be disciplined to do that ourselves now. And the, uh, the baby boomers are the generation where some of them still have that and many of them do not. So yeah. the ones that do, do not have a tendency to teach and impart on their children and then their children's children to, to perhaps uh, plan a little bit yeah. for yourself. But if you have a pension and you have Social Security that's given to you by a company, it's a lot easier to retire. Yeah, and when you get into it, you can think, oh, that's scary. That stinks that that changed. But if you're actively managing it, you got a lot more choices than somebody that just has their company managing yeah. their pension. Yeah. yeah, but we are humans and we have a tendency to... Uh, make a lot of mistakes and sometimes those handcuffs can be good and so what we do is create fake handcuffs you trick yourself into doing the right things over a period of time one fake handcuff that i've heard of is there's there's types of investments where you're not allowed to take it out until a maturity date if you do there's a heavy penalty and that penalty decreases each year that you leave it in yeah do you think that's a good vehicle i would have to see what you're talking about but many i'm hesitating here because that sounds perhaps like a very good sales pitch for an investment might not be a good idea i'm not saying that it is but the ones that i know that have long-term surrender charges are often oftentimes poorly applied to individuals so i will tell you the best one penalty is our our 401ks and iras yeah there is a 10 percent tax additional tax penalty to withdraw early withdrawal and that's not a good idea. And if you, and most logical people understand that it's something to avoid. Yeah. Now. So it helps the, with compliance. Yes. Well, but, in. but why do, if they do withdraw, why do they? Emergencies. And back to the one. So if you one have thing months, that I could change. That's that yeah, three months. Bringing that there it is. Back. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. Now we're a, a habit based show. What are some really good financial habits that people should have as they work to get out of debt and build wealth? Yeah. As you, if you've listened to this, you could hear that I take a, maybe perhaps a psychological, philosophical approach to the way that I work with folks. So I have a motto in my practice and that is, uh, to thy own self be true. And I think that is a regular, and the way to implement that is to have a regular conversation with the decision makers in, in your life. And so that, if that's a spouse or a partner that's helping you make financial decisions, do it regularly. If it's in, in working with someone like me, is it's going to help you write a financial plan on a regular basis and look at it and have a true conversation yeah. on a regular basis. Scheduled, or maybe even like the dentist, right? You soon as you leave the dentist's office, the next one is scheduled. And, and skipping those are, are not a good idea. That's a very important key, key thing. We have a tendency to respect what will be inspected. Yeah. And if uh, your partner is going to uh, inspect the, you and your partner are going to inspect the, the credit card statement on a regular basis for instance, and you might have a tendency to behave a little bit along the way. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a big one. Yeah. And there's all those smaller things that, that we can do, but it's regularity. It's probably of the utmost. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, Fire Within Nation, has this ever happened to you? You go online to find a quick recipe for mashed potatoes, but first you have to hear about Grandfather's Farm in 1929. When I was a boy. <laughs> the first time you had a potato, and like six and a half chapters later, you get to the ingredient list. Tasted like dirt. Drives me nuts. So me and Joe have worked to solve that issue for you. If you head to firewithinnf.com and check out the recipe section, healthy recipes, following the Fire Within way. And it's just the recipe, no blog, 
you're welcome. You'll find recipes like steak chimichurri. There's a bananas foster smoothie recipe. There's a sourdough French toast. Lots of healthy things. Make your own ranch dip and, and tons more. So head to firewithinnf.com. Check out the recipe section and enjoy. Did you know that Fire Within works with companies and organizations that might benefit from a health course? Brandon's health course, Health Transformation, can be applied to your company and custom tailored to meet your company's needs. You could supply it as something from your HR department or just a gift by giving access to everyone in your company to the course. If that's you and you're interested, go to firewithinnf.com on the homepage. Look for corporate partnerships. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit sure. about to your personal habits yeah, and, sure. and health. So I think in your category, I tell you this all the time, you've got to be like in the top 1% for fitness. Do you mind sharing your age? Yeah. And you are regularly playing soccer. I do. You, I you can do pull-ups, you could do mud runs, you can push some pretty serious weight. You look like you're healthy. What are some of the things that you've done in your life? What are the habits you put in place to get you to where you are now? Okay. First of all, I guess I'd say thanks. I don't know if, you know, whether what percentage tile I'm in is arguable, but I will tell you, I guess it makes sense to tell you my story. I've always cared enough about my health and, and physical activity and sports have always been part of my life and I've never not done those. And those are like inadvertent exercises. You're playing a sport. I don't, soccer requires you run and uh, fit enough to, uh, to kick a ball and you have to have strength, but I've had ups and downs in my own personal journey and, and health. And they included some somewhat low points when I was younger and I would start to get heavy or, or not in shape. I would do what a young guy would do is they just go out and you exercise like crazy and, and they drop the weight and get back fit. But that slowly dissipated. And eventually I found myself in a situation where my cholesterol was, was growing. It got higher. And each time over the course of three or four years, it got higher and higher. And each time my my doctor would say, maybe we should put you on a blood, a, a blood pressure lowering medications. And I'm like, no, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And I'd go work out and come back and it wasn't getting any better. So I sadly, I finally realized that nutrition was the big part of it. And this causes lots of controversy for many people, but it worked for me. And I decided to move to a plant-based diet. That basically means whole foods that are grow out of the ground that you can see that don't <laughs> have nutritional labels on them as the basis of what I eat. Yeah. I try very hard to maintain and stick to that. It's try to stay out of the middle of the grocery store. Try to keep animal products out of my diet for um, medical reasons that are beyond my uh, you know ability to pontificate because I'm not an expert. There, there, I have my reasons and I did it. Actually, the worst cholesterol reading ever, I asked my doctor if I could come back in three months. And yeah. He said, Oh, sure, but it's not covered by insurance. And I said, don't worry about it. Well, I went another blood test and I went on a strict plant-based diet, started working out every day, came back three, three months later and dropped my cholesterol by 80 points. My triglycerides are down, I don't know, 40%, all the good cholesterol up, all the bad cholesterol down, and it hasn't changed since. Yeah, I think there's tremendous value to a plant-based approach. For most people, I, I personally recommend some animal product because I think it's tough to hit certain nutrient markers. But there's absolutely no nothing to say that a plant-based approach can't, can't be done well. I think you're an example of that. 
and, and it depends on the individual. But yeah. we know that the prebiotic fibers of indigestible portions of plants are going to attach themselves. It's going to help your microbiome. Fiber attaches itself to sugar, shuttles it out of your body. So it's helping your insulin levels, It's which is also going to help your cholesterol inadvertently because sugar um, is the basis of a lot of cholesterol issues. And that's what damages the arteries a lot of times. It can also be fats and oils, especially canola oil, soybean oil, trans fats. Yeah. Well, I should say, and, I, I, I've eliminated oils from my diet. Yeah. And I try to limit the amount of sugars and compl yeah. complicated, uh, complex carbohydrates. Yeah, so by increasing the amount of plant-based fibers in your diet, that's gonna help your microbiome, your gut health, that's gonna lower your cholesterol, it's gonna improve your insulin, which will probably improve estrogen. For men, that means less man boobs or boobs, and it's this whole approach. So I love uh, plant-based, the center of any diet, yeah. and then how many animal products on top of that, I think, differ from individual to individual. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I'm not here to get anybody to do the way that I do it, but it definitely yeah. works for me. And, and you know, one of the reasons why I work with you is it's accountability. Yeah. So there are many, we work out Mondays and Thursdays. There are many Mondays. And maybe a few or Thursdays that I just don't feel like working out. Yeah. I just don't feel like working out, but I have a scheduled appointment. Yeah. And so I drive myself over and we start working out. And by the end of it, I'm so glad that we did. Yeah. And so that's, that accountability is very important. And I try to do that in many aspects of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that too. I have the same thing. Oftentimes I feel like working out in the morning and then as it gets closer to the workout, I'm like, Ooh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting old too. So things are starting to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. So we try yeah. and include the corrective exercises in there too. And of course. So some days we focus more on stretching, which is fine. That's right. Now, do you have a favorite meal, I guess? Yeah. A favorite meal that I eat or favorite meal that I don't eat? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do your favorite healthy meal and your favorite sheet meal. Yeah. My, my mother is from from New York. And although she is not a full-blooded Italian, she has some of it in her and she likes cook Italian food. And so every time there's lasagna or spaghetti and meatballs, anything along those lines, my mouth absolutely waters. That's absolutely what I think about in my dreams, my birthday yeah. dinners, anything that's in, in that wheelhouse, tomato sauce type of thing, spaghettis, pastas, things along those lines. But for me, it's uh, the, the best way and the, the way that I, I like to eat is I, on a weekly basis, roast a ton of vegetables, put those in the refrigerator, create a nice salad, put that in the refrigerator, create a bean salad, put that in the refrigerator, and then kind of create a veggie, bean, grain bowl each and every meal. And it can vary a lot. It's kind of like, uh, we have a place around here, Kava. Yeah, I it's love like, Kava. It's like having Kava. Oh my it, gosh. They're Kava pleased and, lamb. Holy cow. It's like having that grain. Yeah. If you went and, and ate through all of those selections and made yourself and yeah. made a little bit too much more of this, a little less of that. Tons of veggies, a whole bunch of different types of hummuses. Yep. Yeah, they have right rice. Yep. So that's like that's case basically how I try to eat. Yeah. Yeah, I like them. And they have a like a lavender lemonade. That's just amazing. <laughs> Probably a lot of sugar, but but uh, yeah, only uh, only drink water and coffee. Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff. What's your favorite types of exercise? Oh, God, I'm a guy, so I love the glamour muscles. I guess that's. Part of it, I and then yeah, I'm a soccer nut. So if you can get me, I don't even feel like it's exercise. Yeah, and me and Joe, are, we always we both freaking hate working legs. Yeah, we do it because it's important. Right? Uh, Who likes legs? Yeah. Like, yep. crazy <laughs> people like legs. <laughs> like, yeah, this feels good. No, it doesn't. You're a masochist. Uh, yeah, I feel like the guys that are always like leg day are trying to convince themselves. Right, that they right, right, that leg right, day right. Is what they should. Yeah. Do. <laughs> Yeah, it's a big muscle mass, a big muscle group, so you got to have it. But God, 
none of us really wants like super leg muscles. Like it's not the cool muscles. Like we're wearing pants. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to remember that, you know, keeping my muscle mass over time is what's most important. So it doesn't really matter where. Now everybody's, we're headed into New Year's. Yeah. This episode will air just a few days before the New Year. Will it? It will. Right. What are the top three things uh -huh. you would tell somebody to increase either their physical health or their financial health or a blend of both? Yeah. Okay. I'll sound like a bucket record, but I do. It's because I, you know, over 18 years I've seen them work. So have a plan, have a real plan that's going to work, whether that's nutritional, exercise, financial, take the time to write a financial plan. There's an old Harvard study probably... Joe, you do podcasts all the time. Have you heard, how many times have you heard this? They take these Harvard kids. They find out who has a plan, who has written them down. Yeah. The, right, the, the have a plan crowd is something like 15%. Yeah. And the write it down crowd is something like, I could get this wrong, 2%, 3%, something along those lines. And then they check on, because it's Harvard, they know where these people landed and what jobs they have, and they solicit them for donations, of course. And... The have a plan crowd is twice as successful as the not have a plan crowd. Wow. And the written plan crowd is something like five or 10 times more successful than anybody else. And because it's an active document, it's a living working document. So that's advice number one. Start with, keep it simple. Do not try to, Rome wasn't built in a day, et cetera. First step, how to eat an elephant, insert your metaphor, just start simple. And then I think probably the last thing, and it really is, it's more between the ears, but most of financial planning is to thy own self be true. Really make sure that you are doing things that align with what you love, what you value, what's important to you. Be true and follow yourself, follow your true heart and, and, and it will have a much higher probability of working out. Yeah, I looked up that study you were talking about. So it's a 1979 Harvard study and a 1953 Yale study, exact same things. 3% of the class had both written goals and concrete plans. So I was close on that. And that 3% wow. of people made 84% more money than the rest of the class. Whoa. So it wasn't 10 times. Yeah. It's significantly more. It was significantly more. Yeah. yeah. And that study in both cases was 10 years later. It, it makes sense, right? I, I really don't like resolutions. It's gym gets more crowded. Yeah, I'll get a bunch of calls from people who don't plan to do anything. I'm not a big fan of them, but if it reminds you of the long-term planning that you need good. Yeah. Uh, uh, and maybe yeah. that's part of the secret is coming up with a plan and writing it down instead of a New Year's resolution, which oh, is usually, or something just super generic. Yeah, that you yeah. don't tell anybody. So, 90, <laughs> so this one says that 90% of New Year's resolutions fail. Uh -huh. And I think they probably start off with super lofty goals without a plan in place. That's right. yeah. So that's right. for health and nutrition, you want to lose weight. Okay. How are you going to do it? I don't know. Work out, eat less. Right. Hormonally, how do you work out? What works for your body? So a financial planner is, can be that written plan for the finance because I don't understand it all. I don't like investing for me personally. I don't get it. And I I'm super glad there's people that do. So if one of your New Year's resolutions is to get your financial house in order, it'd be, it would behoove you. I've never used that word before. <laughs> Didn't feel it that. sounds very holiday. <laughs> like, behooved. put on your Yule log <laughs> and feel behooved. <laughs> <laughs> never used that word before. I don't think it's natural. But I think it'd be a good idea to have a financial planner if you don't. If you don't have one, we'd love for them to be able to get in contact you, with sure. you. What is your contact information? For sure. I can be found on... Um, on the web. I've got a website, Hellinger Financial. You can look me up there. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, uh, page, and you know, perhaps in this podcast, we'll get uh, some of my contact information. 
Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for you. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you should buy the domain name whatthehellinger.com. <laughs> Can we make that? That sounds marvelous. Yep. Cool. And I think that's where we're ending the show. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, go check us out at firewithinnf.com and sign up for Refuel, a weekly email with recipes, videos, and tips to stoke the fire within. Also, you can join the Fire Within community by being added to our Facebook group. And don't forget to follow us on social media.